Man, wasn't that so good to luxuriate in the presence of God, to lift him up, to adore him, to exalt him. Whew, I love that. Christmas is here, and I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. Going home, just the wood stove, just getting near that. Our family, just we'd get around the table and it was, uh, it was just chaos, but storytelling and just catching up. I loved reunions. I loved going home. Christmas is different now. My mom and dad are gone. This is the first Christmas without both of them. And um, I feel now, you know, with every year that goes by, I identify with the different people going into the holidays. You know, when you're younger, you just kind of don't get the people that are filled with pain, whether it's divorce or loss or, uh, you know, fractures in relationships, reunions that are not filled with unity and strength and love. In fact, there's more of that than not. And so I have a, a particular penchant to go that direction this year. As I think about Christmas, I think about the holidays and they're not happy for a lot of people. They're really, really filled with hurt. And if you're in this place and there's hurt in your heart, you came to the right place today because I want to kind of talk about that and the antidote to that moving into the holidays. We live out on a dirt road. It's, it's Pharaoh. I love it when I love it and I hate it when I hate it. And I hate it when it rains and our road turns into the Appalachian Trail. And uh, there's ruts, and uh, my struts and shocks are just dying, crying for mercy. Um, and uh, one of the problems at our house is we lose power all the time. Did you guys lose power this last Wednesday? Anybody lose power on Wednesday? No one. <laughs> we did. Because <laughs> that's, that's what it means. To, did somebody hear? Oh, yeah. Dan did. He's my next door neighbor. So uh, Dan and I lost power. And one of the things I hate about Dan is he had, one of many things I hate about my neighbor is when the power goes out, his generation, her his generator just turns right on. And we don't have a generator. But we got a generator two weeks ago. My wife has been badgering me for a generator. She doesn't want to live without the ability to curl her hair in the morning. And uh, no, just kidding. So we got a, a generator and Luke Davison was going to come over and hook it up. And so he came over and hooked it up. And um, all I needed to get was some gasoline and some oil, a quart of oil to put in it. And then he could come over and show us how to hook it up. And uh, she wanted me to do that the last couple weeks. And I get to work and I come into town and I wouldn't get the quart of oil and then she got the quart of oil and then I didn't get the gasoline. And I was like, no big deal though. I was looking at the forecast. There was no problem. There was no wind. There was no storm coming. And so at three in the morning, the, the way we know like the power goes out in our house is the fans stop working. And everybody in our house wakes up. The boys come downstairs. The girls come downstairs. And so really the most important thing isn't the meat in the freezer. It's not the refrigerator. It's we don't have our fans anymore. And this last year, my wife and I graduated from one fan to two fans. We've got, there's surround sound, but that place is a wind tunnel. And uh, if any farmers here have one of those barn fans that are about that big, I'll be open to that in two years when I become immune to the two fans. So we got fans going, and when they shut down, I woke up, and I was somewhat in a stupor, and I could, I could hear my wife muttering under her breath, why didn't she get the stupid gas and oil? We'd have our generator right now. And then she said the famous wife words, I should have just done it myself. And I didn't have the wherewithal to even engage in any sort of fight because I knew I was guilty as charged. And so we didn't have power, but we had our fan apps on our phone. <laughs> but that's just, that's not good um, compared to regular fans. The power went out. I was thinking this week of power outages. And man, I feel like the last couple years, I've had so many power outages and no generator. 
In fact, one of the reasons I follow God, and I do not know how you make it through life's downturns and pitfalls and the abyss of life without the generator of the Holy Spirit kicking in and just some of the gifts that he's given us to tap into to try to get power back inside of our deflated beings and our discouraged souls. I don't know what you do without that, but man, I've had so many emotional, spiritual, relational, mental power outages this last couple years. And this year was just devastating, losing my mom too. I know a lot of people that have had power outages. And man, life's hard to, to do without power. It's the power internally that fortitude that, that you need in order to advance into the future. In fact, I didn't even look forward to the future in the month of August. It's just been one of those years. I mean, some days I wake up having sad feelings and some days I wake up having mad feelings. How many of you are mad on some days? How many just sad on some days? How many are just bad on some days? I feel like I could write a Dr. Seuss book, The Mad, Sad, Bad Dad. Doesn't that feel like a good one? It isn't as happy as some of his books, but just explains a lot in my life. I've, I've been a very mad, sad, bad dad on some days. No generator to give me power. I'm, I've been abandoned. I've been betrayed. Man, have I been betrayed this year. A betrayal that I didn't see coming that just crushed me. I've been criticized, demoralized, disappointed, discouraged, hurt, humiliated, harassed. I've been lied about. I've been lied to. I've been sad. I've been scared. I've been terrorized in the witching hours of the night, traumatized in the waking hours of the day. You feel me? And there's some days the loss in my life makes me feel lost as a leader. And it's hard to be lost when you're a leader. You can't have a vision for the future when you can't see 10 feet in front of your face. I guess in war they would call it the thousand foot stare. I've been there. Kurt's been there. There are some days I've always loved people, but people can seem very threatening to me, the things that they've done to me. I remember one of the things coming off the death of my mom, it was the next week I got two emails just ripping me apart, and I remember feeling inside, don't they know my mom just died? And I had this feeling, I'd never do that to them. Doesn't mean people won't do it to you. And I just felt like a commodity. Is that all I am as a commodity that people consume from me but don't care about me? I felt threatened by people. Honestly, so much crossfires happened in our church, and I guess what you'd call friendly fire in the church. It was anything but friendly, but man, this church sometimes doesn't feel safe to me like it did before two years ago. Just the ability to trust people, they turn on you. Our town if I'm honest, feels hostile toward me. I never felt that in the last 18 years. I don't know if you get on the dark side of Lowell Facebook page or Lowell Chatter or whatever the heck it's called. Man, I've gotten ripped up and down. Our church has gotten ripped up and down. And this country, our, our motherland, seems unrecognizable to me in the last couple of years. I'm just so heavy with what's happened, all the confusion, delusion. <sighs> you can feel it. I was coming back from Thanksgiving and uh, we were down in North Carolina to my sisters for Thanksgiving. On the way back, I had three words come into my mind to embattle me in the holidays. And it was these words, forgiving, 
thanksgiving and giving. These are the generators in my life when I don't think I can go another day or take another step. If I don't participate in these activities, I feel powerless in my life, helpless and hopeless. That's the three words I'll use today is the importance of forgiveness, gratitude, and generosity. I'm gonna try to give you a generator so when you have power outages heading into the holidays this year, whether it's Christmas or the new year, that you'll have a generator that powers up and, and allows the lights to go back on in your heart. Because it can be really dark and really cold if you don't have a generator that kicks on. First one I wanna look at is forgiveness. The verse that came to my mind is when my father, my father and my mother made me memorize, particularly my mother, says this in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness and anger and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's interesting in this verse, you, you can't be kind and be compassionate. You can't be anything unless you get rid of stuff. Some of you are trying to like put carpet over cat pee, right? And, and you know, once cats pee on the floor and it gets into the subflooring, you can put carpet over that cat pee and it'll smell really great for a while, but it comes right up through that new, new carpet. You got to rip out the subflooring and you're like, man, we got to get this cat pee out of here. And I just feel like a lot of Christians just put carpet over cat pee. That's all they do. And it feels good for the week and the holiday. And man, after a few months, there's this pungent odor coming out of the same place. In order for you to get rid of this, you gotta, you gotta rip out the subflooring. If you don't get rid of stuff and you just try to be stuff, it's not lasting. It isn't for me anyway. It's just cover up. It's masking the issue. You're delaying the inevitable. Got to get rid of bitterness, bitterness, resentment. Anybody feel bitter in here at anyone or anything right now? Just let's kind of have an honest moment. Like bitterness is in your heart, 14 of you. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what, that's, that can come real fast. And the only antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. Just this. Anybody feel angry in here on any given week? I mean, in our world, we call it pissed off. I don't like to use that. Reminds me of a joke my dad used to say, what happened to the fly in the toilet seat? He got pissed off. Oh. <laughs> Chuck Holdridge, he would tell me those jokes, but then mom wasn't around. Um, you know what I'm saying? Shh, don't tell your mom about this. Yeah, just really angry, just ticked. Just, uh. The only antidote for anger is to forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. We love to be forgiven. We hate to forgive. God, please forgive me, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. I'm not forgiving them. Slander. Talking about other people tearing them down instead of building them up to other people. And it feels so good to talk about other people, especially negatively. It scratches an itch inside of our flesh. God said, you gotta get rid of that. And you get rid of that with forgiveness. And then malice, you're like, I don't even know what malice is. Well, I'll tell you what malice is. Malice is evil thoughts or intentions against other people. This is the stuff that maybe doesn't come out, but stays inside of you, and you just think the most evil thoughts and harmful thoughts to other people. Forgiveness. It was back in late August. 
where I was coming out of uh, going to New York. I don't know if you remember that. We went to New York and where my dad grew up and we just poured out my mom and dad's ashes in different places and it was supposed to be closure for us. And for me, it was a new opening. I felt like I was doing pretty good up to that point. After we did that, it was like grief had, had a delayed reaction in my life and it just flooded into me. And I came into the end of August and I felt so calloused and numb inside. Never felt it to that degree. And uh, I remember having some conflict with my wife. I mean, she's here today, but I don't know if it's ever been that dark. In fact, there was this one time we were upstairs and she was kind of calling stuff out of me and asking what was wrong and sharing how it was hurting her. And there was something inside of me that I never felt, but I was so numb. I was like, I just don't care. And the thought that came to my mind and the one that hurt her the most is I literally don't care if we reconcile. Like that's how dark it was. That thought even scared me enough for me to go to grief counseling because it wasn't her problem, it was me. And um, I remember the next day after that fight, I went into the office. It was before our executive team meeting and I wrote out, I called it Hits and Hurts. That was the name of this journal entry. And I thought I'd just share some things because I wanted to text my wife because she said in that conversation, are we done? Like that's how dark it was. Are you and I done? And that kind of scared me like, no, we're not done. I'm just going through something. But I could tell it was that intense. So I came in and I wrote down hurts, hits and hurts of the last two years. In fact, I started a manila envelope for myself, not my congregants, for me. At the top of this, it's me and my problems. And I started just collecting things from grief counseling, wrote out all the things, the hits and hurts of my life, trying to figure out my own psyche, my own mind, my own heart, what was going on. So I wrote four and a half pages of things that have taken place in my life, and I sent her that via text, and it was like that long. And I got done with the executive team meeting and I went back to the keyboard and started powing it and in. I came up with another five pages, single spaced, of just the last two years, things that have hurt me and hits that I've taken. My therapist calls them body blows. Anybody taken any body blows? Gotten sucker punched this year? He also said... It's interesting, you can go through a lot of things, but a book that he recommended to me is The Body Keeps Score. The Body Keeps Score. You can put your nose to the grindstone for another year. You can take body blows and bounce back and just kind of put your head down and bear down and get through it, but the body's keeping score. And if you don't take care of your own soul, it comes up in a place that uh, is pretty scary. So we talked through that and decided to go to counseling after that. I remember the first counseling session. And, and I'm all about therapy and counseling. So if you're in a church you know, and you're like, eh, that shows weakness in leadership, to me, it shows strength because yes. it shows humility. Yes. You're not strong. Or maybe you're strong today, but what about when you're 42? What about 49? What about 58? What about 68? It'll come for you. It'll find you. It'll get you. I mean, I think, I fancy myself a pretty good leader that's been really, really successful, and I think I'm pretty smart and savvy, and I think, I think I'm like, you strap a plow to me, I can turn ground, baby. I can. I'm a mule. I can, I can do things. It came and got me, waylaid me, laid me right out. It'll come for you. It'll find you. And when it finds you, don't be so proud, filled with hubris enough to think you don't need help. I, mean, I think of that 
doesn't totally relate, but when that person yelled out to Jesus on the cross, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And sometimes I feel like that as a pastor. I can help everybody else, but I can't help myself. I can save everyone else, but I can't save myself. And there's a reason for that. Because I can see you 360 degrees, but if I just use my physical eyes, I can see here, but then it's peripheral, and I have a huge blind side of a lot of things I can't see physically. It's the same emotionally and spiritually and psychologically. I need other people to look at my life and help me. A pastor needs a pastor. A leader needs a leader. A coach needs a coach. A person needs a person. So I get in there and I sit down, and I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And he asked me some questions. And it wasn't long before he brought out this like shoebox. And I'm like, oh, where are we going here? It's got a baseball in it and it's got all this tissue paper in it. And he's like, a lot of things in our life are like this shoebox. And in the middle, we'll call that grief or we'll call that pain. And it's like you lose things in your life and you take hurts and hits in your life. You keep pulling out the tissue paper and then you got the baseball and now you need to balance it because when it hits the sidewalls of this box, that's pain. And now you're as a leader and as a father and as a husband and as a friend, you're trying to balance that ball of grief inside and it's hitting the sidewalls and you're feeling a lot of pain because the last two pieces of tissue paper, your mom and dad have been taken out. And that umbrella protection, that buffer, it's not there anymore. And I was, I was doing pretty good balancing because I'm, you know, got good eye-hand coordination, right? So I'm like, yeah, I got this down. Oh, sorry about that. He's like, pain. It's like, now try to walk in a straight line and do that. And he was walking alongside of me, and I, it was going to the side. And every time it hit, he'd be like, pain. Pain, pain, pain. And then I sat down. And he says, that's what's going on inside of your head and heart. Can't balance it all out anymore. And we started out, first thing he said, is you're dealing with loss of control. And your mom and dad are the last straw that broke the camel's back because no matter what you did, you couldn't stop them from dying. And then we went into some attachment issues I was having because of trust. We went into existential threats or crises that I was in. We went into anxietized events and then we got all the way to the end and he was like, you've just gotta practice brutal acceptance in your life. You've gotta embrace this. You're not in control, you've never been in control. All your assumptive realities are falling apart. It's just powerful. And I'm still in it. I go every week on Monday at one o'clock. But forgiveness was huge. I had to work through forgiveness. Forgiveness of other people, forgiveness of myself, forgiveness of my enemies, and forgiveness of God. Now that one's an odd one because God didn't do anything wrong, but some of you have some resentment or bitterness with God and you're not reconciling because you're so disappointed in what he allowed or didn't do or didn't say. He didn't come to your aid the way that you expected him because we all have ex expectations and assumptions that lead us to conclusions. Amen. It's like you gotta just let go and surrender the outcome to God. So I just had to forgive people. And man, that was hard. Because a loss of control sometimes is the bitterness you feel. At least it's an emotion that makes you feel like the locus of power or control and you don't have it. So if you take away bitterness, I'm letting them go and I no longer have control. And it's like, yeah, but you're just killing yourself. I mean, even Jesus on the cross, one of his final words was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I relate to that. I, I have to do that along with Jesus. Thanks for giving me that prescription. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But there's other words that come to my mind, which is, Father, forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. Those are the hardest people to forgive. Or, Father, forgive them. They won't stop doing what they're doing. 
stupid idiots. I've told them. They keep doing it. That's my son's. Father, forgive them. They keep on attacking what I'm doing. Father, forgive them. They don't get why I'm doing what I'm doing. Do your parents not get why you're doing what you're doing? Father, forgive them. Help me to grow because of what they're doing. So now we're turning towards something that's redemptive. This is the generator that turns the power back on in your life. The last one is the biggest one. God, forgive them and keep my eyes open to what you may be doing that doesn't make sense to me through what hurt I'm experiencing right now. What are you doing inside of me? Help me to see what you see, God. Joseph did this at the end of his life. When his brothers came back, he forgave them. And he said, am I in the place of God? Genesis 50, 20 goes on to say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good in order to save many lives, in order to accomplish the saving of many lives. You get to a place where it's like, God, all this evil was done against me and it really messed up my plans for my life. But God was doing something when I thought he wasn't doing nothing. And a lot of salvation came as I gave and relinquished control. Even Jesus did this when he says in 1 Peter, when he was reviled, he didn't retaliate, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He's like, you're the judge, jury, and executioner. I'm not holding that inside of myself. Jesus committed himself. You judge righteously. You're the one that gives the verdict. You take care of the vengeance. Vengeance is yours. You'll repay. Right? It's giving it to the Lord. It's forgiveness. I remember somebody said something like this, like bitterness or resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yep. So if you don't get it out, you, you think, man, I'm just, mm, 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 I hope that, it's like, no. No, you're the one who's dying. You're only hurting yourself. Or as one speaker said, do yourself a favor, forgive. Amen. Do yourself a favor, and forgive, and you will find freedom from bitterness, from anger, from slander, and from malice. That's the generator that'll give you power going into this holiday. Second one is gratitude. Gratitude. Another verse I memorized when I was a young kid in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I feel like these are bundled up as I look at them, rejoicing and praying continually and giving thanks in all situations. For me, rejoicing is something that I do with God. The root word of rejoice, do you know what that is? It's joy. It's rejoying yourself. And rejoicing is very critical for me. Um, I need to praise God. When I'm feeling down, when I feel like the storm clouds are coming in, I've got to find a way to praise God, just like Job did in Job chapter one. He gives and he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Or he said in another, though he slay me, still I will follow. And I rejoice to God. God, you're good. I'm not good, but you're good. I'm not faithful, but you're faithful. I'm not always loving, but you're loving, God, and I praise you. And this, you know, for the men in in this room, it's like, nah, I listen to B93.7. That's kind of how I, you know, I drink beer, I pet the dog, I have a truck, you know, all of those things. It's just dirt roads, and I just, that kind of gives me the good vibes. Or I listen to this, or I listen to that. I'm telling you, if you're going to grow in your faith, you need to spend more time than on the weekends listening to worship music and worshiping God through your pain. Again, you're not strong enough. You need to turn your heart toward worship. Because when I get my eyes off myself and I get my eyes on God, 
I'm doing a lot better. When I'm fixated on myself rather than fixating on who God is, I don't do better because I'm focused on myself. I do worse. And I'm alone with my thoughts and they are toxic without releasing those toxic feelings and allowing God to meet me with a salve of worship. Rejoicing in God. The next one's liken unto it, and even in our hunger series, practicing the presence of God is huge. You can't pray out loud with your mouth all day long. That's not what this is talking about. It's a mindset or mentality of just knowing, God, you're with me all the time, and I'm living with a prayerful conversation with you throughout the day. He will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever you're feeling, whatever conversation you're having, whatever decision you're making, recognizing God is right there and tapping into his presence is huge for me. When I'm living present with the Lord and recognizing his presence, I don't live in the past and I don't live in the future. This whole idea is presence or being present. In psychology, it would be called being mindful. Mindfulness is what this is. And when I'm mindful and I'm going through things in my life and I realize God's right there with me, I call it a father filter. He's my father, and I strain everything through the father filter in my life. God, what do you feel about what I'm experiencing? What do you see? What do you want? What's breaking your heart right now? What's making you come alive? And throughout the day, practicing his presence with me, man, that is something that gives me power. I process things through his presence process things with his present. Why? So I can be present. How many of you long to be present, but you're mostly preoccupied? You're home with your family. Your wife or your spouse is like, I see you're here physically. You are not here mentally. Hello? The kids are opening their presents. Get off your freaking phone. It's like the way to be present is to pray without ceasing. God, you're right here. Allow me to be mindful of you and stay in the present. And the last one, give thanks in every circumstance. That's gratitude. Last year, I, uh, for Lent, I don't know if you remember this, I gave, up, I gave up three things. Negativity, complaining, and gossiping or talking about other people. I wish I just decided not to eat for 40 days. (laughs) These three things are as easy as breathing. And when you stop doing them, you feel suffocated in life. Like I've never had 40 days where I was more quiet than these 40 days. It's like my mom used to say, if you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. And I was saying nothing at all. My wife hated it. In fact, we were coming down the home stretch and we'd be taking walks and things would be coming up and I just would not make any comment about them because I didn't know how to negotiate words through it without going into negativity, complaining or talking about other people. And she said to me, you're no fun to be around anymore. You know? Well, it's, it was funny because Ryan said the same thing. I, I share an office and Ryan's like, man, you've been so quiet. Is everything okay? And I'm like, everything's actually better than it's ever been. I just realized I have no language without complaining, negativity, or griping about people. I love to kvetch. I love to bellyache. I like to grumble. Philippians 2.14, the whole verse is do everything without grumbling or complaining. How? (laughs) How do you do that? You're just going to be quiet a lot more. Do you know you being quiet might be the best thing that could ever happen to you? Just shut your yapper. You know, I think it's Peter says, be quiet and mind your own business. It's... uh, When you're not minding everyone else's business, you're quieter. 
lead a quiet life, he says. I was leading a quiet life. And it changed me because I would turn toward thanks and gratitude, affirmation of other people, encouragement. That, that turns the power on in your life when you're filled with gratitude. Every morning I wake up and I've got some rituals where before I wake up, I put my hands out under the covers and I say, I'm yours, Lord, save me today. And what I mean by that is save me from myself. And I say, I'm yours, Lord, use me. And then I pick two things in the morning to posture my heart toward gratitude. I pick two things I'm thankful for. I don't care how bad my life is, I have stuff to be thankful for. I don't care how bad your day is, there are things to be thankful for. And when you turn your heart toward thanks, the lights go back on. Amen. They do. I, I saw on a placard one time, and it said, it's not the happy people who are grateful, it's the great, grateful people who are happy. You're waiting to be happy to be grateful? Don't. You need to start being grateful and you'll be happy. Third one, generosity. This is a big one coming into this time of year. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, I think it's verse 20, well, I don't know where it is. It's later on in the chapter. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's, it's better to give than to get. And this is an antidote for selfishness. Amen. Heidi and I, early in marriage, I remember uh, the times where we would conflict with each other. It was very easy to see one of the things that's dying in both of us is selfishness. Because when you're alone, you do what you want to do. When you want to do it, you spend your money. You kind of know your plan, and it's still about you. You, ha you have a wife, all of a sudden that's cut in half, and you have to think about someone else. And you have one kid, and you're only a third of yourself. After you're a half of yourself, you have two kids. You're a quarter of yourself. You have another kid, and it just keeps getting less and less selfish, at least if you're doing it right. And for me, generosity is just an antidote for selfishness oh, and for pride. Just giving, heart of, heart of giving. It was, uh, you know, we, we're at a time, end of the year giving for a church and a lot of people here will give above and beyond their tithe, just kind of drive our church, you know, backfill kind of the losses of this year and front fill our budget going into next year so we can be the movement of God God longs for us to be and we really rely on that as a church. I don't know if you're thinking about that. It's such a big deal. Giving to Swaziland, all these brothers and sisters across the world, you can get online and give to Swaziland. That generosity is great. But I think some of the generosity I want you to think about individually is like, am I generous with my money, yes, but am I generous with my time? Some people, it's way easier to be generous with their money than it is their time. Because time's valuable. You only get so much allotted to you in your lifetime. Or being generous with your stuff. Some of you have so much stuff, you need to just give some of it away. And the next day, I want you to think, man, we've got four four-wheelers, and our kids don't even ride them, and they haven't for four years what are, why are they taking up space in our pole barn? Why in the world do I have all these clothes? Why do I have these toys? Our kids don't even play with them anymore. Why in the world do we have, we need to get rid of some of this stuff. We need to purge and cleanse. Did you know my family, we were so poor growing up, I would get a stocking and mostly it would be underwear and deodorant and toothpaste and toothbrushes, just the necessities in life. Some Christmases, that's all we would get. Sometimes mom would give us one gift on top of that or three gifts, really small gifts. But almost every Christmas, and we were hoping for it. Somebody out there that actually had the means 
would think generously and they would show up at the Holdridge's door in the back. I remember one year, people unloaded their truck. This one thing was a backboard with a, a basket on it and they came in and all this stuff was wrapped, new stuff. And some families were giving us clothes, garbage bags of clothes, and we would look like we didn't care and they would leave and, you know, we're throwing out, I want this. Like old clothes were our new clothes for the next year. It's powerful. And people would show up, be like, I don't know if you need this. Man, what we could do if we're generous with our stuff. Generous with our words. Some of you, that would be huge. Write a text. Send a note. Share words. Pretend like they died and you're speaking at their funeral. Except they haven't died and you can say how great they are to their face while they're alive. You know how bad people need to hear that? Just be generous with your words. Even if you're having thoughts toward people, generous with your assumptions toward people, give them the benefit of the doubt. That's all generosity. I remember two years ago, it's kind of end of the year giving. We're giving to Swaziland, giving extra to the church. But for me, I didn't really think about it at the time, but I was going to sell my little Honda uh, Civic and I knew I was going to get about 500 bucks for it. And instead on Facebook, I'm like, I don't know, if somebody needs a car, just you know, message me in my inbox and uh, I have a car that I want to give away. I had 24 people message me within an hour. And I gave it to the first one. They sent a video. It was for the daughter that just got in a car accident that couldn't get to work. And she was bawling. And I got this video. It was awesome. And all of a sudden, the next day, I got a message from somebody. Hey, I got a car. I saw what you're doing. I'm willing to give it away. Do you know anybody that needs a car? Yeah, 23 people. <laughs> so I went down and I looked at the next one on the list. Hey, I got a car for you. And it was given to me. Bring it to the church. Exchange of title. They come in. I take a picture with them. I'm like, this is cool. I gave away two cars this year. That's awesome. Uh, it was the same day I had somebody show up with $3,000. Like, I don't have a car, but I want to actually give you $3,000. I love that car thing you're doing. So I went out and bought two cars with that. <laughs> because I said, anybody have any cars? Yeah, I got a car. It could go for $4,000, but I'll give it to you for $1,500. i am out there, a sleazy car salesman in the year <laughs> 2020. And I don't know nothing about cars. I don't know how to change my brakes. Dan has to do all of my work on my lawnmowers. Um, with his generator. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know how to, I don't change my oil. I don't know what I'm looking for. If I open the hood and I'm like, that didn't work. And I'm a pastor, so I anoint it with oil and pray for a healing. <laughs> I don't know nothing. All of a sudden I turn into the guru of cars. And I had a guy that had a truck He's like, it's a huge truck. I don't know if anybody would want it. Why don't I sell the truck? I'll give you $5,000. So he gave me $5,000. People were giving me their cars. I was out buying cars. I was looking for cars. I was fixing cars. I was detailing cars. I was troubleshooting cars. I had women that were coming in, three of them. One came in. She's like, my car's overheating, and I know you are good with cars. Um, <laughs> and so I go out. I'm like, and I felt like this confidence with cars, and I just went out just you pop the hood for me here? And, and all of a sudden, my eyes would see, oh, it looks like this right here. You're leaking some fluid right here. Oh, my goodness, right here, there's a cut in. Why don't you just take this car? I'll take this down to Rhonda Tire. Rhonda Tire and I were like this for like two and a half months. I'm coming in. They're like, what kind of, what car you got? I got a car. They were giving things to me at cost at Rhonda Tire to join me in this weird ministry that I called hashtag cars with care. It was spreading around Grand Rapids. I'm getting calls from people in Grand Rapids. Had a, several of them come out. They were telling their friends. Somebody got on the radio station to give a sappy Christmas story and said, hey, a pastor out at Impact Church in Lowell gave me a car. I've been praying for a car. That got on the radio. The radio station contacted me. I did an interview on the radio that went on the radio. And guess who was getting more emails than I knew what to do? with moi, this guy right here. 
And it just spread like wildfire. By the end of the year, I'd given away 18 cars and had $22,000 given to me to buy cars, fix cars, give away cars. It was crazy. Until finally somebody came to me and it's like, you're going to get thrown in jail because you're doing it all wrong. The IRS is going to come after you. And I was like, ah, I got scared to death. It's just coming out of my heart. God gave me this awesome opportunity because I decided to give away my car rather than sell it. And I think generosity is the antidote for a lot of selfishness. What can you give this year? Forgiveness, who do you need to forgive? I want you to go home and I want you to get your manila folder out and say, what are my hits and hurts and who do I need to forgive? And then write down your manila envelope, what are all the things that I'm thankful for? I mean, I have one thing in here that talks about gratitude. Seven scientifically proven benefits of gratitude. And they cite the studies. Gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Second, gratitude improves physical health. Third, gratitude improves psychological health. Fourth, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Five, gratitude, uh, grateful people sleep better. Gratitude improves self-esteem. The last one, gratitude increases mental strength. That's a life of celebration. What are you celebrating today? Who are you celebrating today? And then generosity. With your money, with your time, with your stuff, with your words, and with your thoughts toward people. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to do something um, as we end the service today. Some of you are really hurt or some of you are moving into a situation that's pretty precarious with your family. In the holiday, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of awkwardness. There's tension. And I want to pray for you today. And uh, what I want to do is, like, I want you to stand up if that's you and you need prayer. And I want the people around you to just kind of put their hand on you today while I pray for you. So that's what we're going to do. If you're feeling something inside, if your heart's racing right now, you're the one I'm talking to. Um, don't talk yourself out of it. You need prayer. You need power. We're going to hook you up to the generator today. Why don't you stand up if you need prayer today, and we'll get some people around you. We've got somebody back here that needs prayer, over here um, that needs prayer. Anybody else need prayer? Yeah, just, oh, Mary Veltman. I didn't even see you. She's here from South Africa, one of our missionaries there. How many times has your home been broken into this last year? Or a lot. And so she's just hurt. She's been on the mission field down there and her home's been broken into feeling really vulnerable. We've been praying for you a lot. So people around these people, can you just gather around, just move out of your chairs and circle up and put your hand on them um, and maybe even just whisper to them, we're with you, we're with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're with you. We're with you. If you can't get close enough to put your hand on the person, put your hand on the person who has their hand on a person that's got their hand on a person. We're going to band together. It says in James, confess your faults one to another, your sins one to another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God, we come to you for the sake of these brave souls that have stood in need of your grace, the generosity of your love. As it says in the Old Testament, the long arm of the Lord. May with you and the long arm of the Lord extend down through our hands and touch them with your care and concern for their life. No one loves them more than you, so we connect to you, the generative generator of love and life. And we ask you now by your spirit to fill them right now Give them strength 
that they do not have on their own. Make them feel a sense of your care and love for them like they have never experienced it before. And I pray that you would fill them with power and strength in their inner man. You know the wounds that they're carrying right now. And I pray, God, as the great physician, that you would bring healing to them and those injuries they've sustained in recent days and over the years. Some of them feel so, so alone, bereft of life, without friends, without home, without care and concern. No one's come looking for them. Some here don't even have anyone that knows what's going on other than you. They've held it inside. It could be secret pain and sorrow they've been carrying for a long time. We ask for you to come down as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace that we celebrate on this holiday. Jesus, show up in their life. You say you will never leave them nor forsake them. As they feel hands on them now, may those hands as the body of Christ be your hands. As they cry tears, let them know that they're not alone, that others are suffering with them and feeling their pain and their heart breaks and aches for them. You are a good God. You are a good Father. Every perfect gift comes from above, the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So just fill them with the gift of your presence and power and peace and passion this morning. Renew them. Fill them up, God, to overflowing. Whatever valley of the shadow of death they're wading through, let them know it is there you are with them. Your rod and your staff will comfort them. Anoint their head with oil so that their cup runs over. And allow your surely goodness and mercy to follow them all the days that are to come in the next week. We believe you can do this by your Holy Spirit. We believe with every fiber of our being that you are still the miracle-working God. So give them the power to sustain them in the days to come. We pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for coming today. We'll see you for Christmas Eve.